from the studios of WBAA Public Radio in West Lafayette. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. I'm Stan Dostrevsky. We appreciate you joining us for the show this month, as always. And if ever you have a question you'd like to make sure gets on this program, feel free to email that to ask at WBAA.org. And you can tweet your questions at WBAA News on Twitter. Well, we're getting set to start the fall semester soon. Uh, I wondered, are you teaching this year? I am going to teach this fall. I took a, uh, a term off or maybe two, but uh, um, I'm going to uh, once again teach a course about the Great War, which we now think of as World War I, uh, and how it came to be and all the ways it changed history since. And um uh, um, I think it's a fascinating topic, and and the students uh, over these few years seem to agree, so uh, we'll give it another go. Is it the kind of thing where you're taking the same syllabus and revising, or have you gone back and thought, these things didn't work, we're throwing it out and starting it over? I do try to improve it. You get student feedback. You know, we, we solicit student feedback, and I've changed a few things. For instance, the, the first year I realized I was probably assigning too much reading for uh, the, the the credit that the student was earning, and uh, I've tried to make it, it. It's always been interactive, but I tried to make it more so. And um, I'm always reading and learning, so I do uh, each uh, time I've I've added things and occasionally pruned things from the the, the notes that I use to lead the discussion. So uh, I don't know how the real uh, professional faculty do it, but uh, I've been learning along the way. First of all, that teaching uh, is hard. You really do have to work at it, but that also that it's uh, it's very fun and and gratifying if the students seem to be um, uh, enjoying it and, and gaining from it. How, when you're doing that, do you decide what scholarship you want to present and what scholarship you want to leave aside? Yeah, it's, I, I don't know if I'm doing it right. I try to have a, a balance. I, 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 um, there's no way to include even even uh, excerpts from uh, every book that I found interesting or illuminating, but I do try to give uh, uh, present different sides of these questions and then try to stimulate the students to uh, identify which ones make the most sense to them. Let's talk about some other things. Um, I wanted to start by going into the the discussion about Papa John's founder, John Schnatter. He's been in the news a lot lately, both here and at the University of Louisville, where he has a very large presence. Um, Obviously, we talked a couple of months ago when he gave a big donation to the university and and in the process got some naming rights to a a portion of uh, the management school. What is the current thought on that? The university, when when he recently was uh, announced to have said something unfortunate on a conference call with his board of directors, uh, the university said it was reviewing and assessing what to do. What is your current thought? That the, uh, we'll, we'll, the our trustees will take this up in a couple weeks when they're here. Uh, they're the ones who have to decide on naming and if we were going to make a change, it's uh, their job to decide that. And so uh, we're simply gathering the facts as best anybody can understand them, and we'll lay it in front of them, and then we'll know. What's your counsel on such a thing? What would you advise them to do? I think I'll keep that between me and the in the board. But, um, um, you know, it's um, a, a situation in which – the goal involved of an economics research center that that elevates Purdue 
and, and scholarship here in a substantial way is still a worthy goal. We were working on it very, very hard before ever meeting Mr. Schnatter, and uh, we'll keep on working on it, whatever is decided about his own involvement. But um, I think you used the right word when you said unfortunate. So this is obviously not a a first instance for him. He was in the news last NFL season where he uh, made another comment that uh, the players who were kneeling before NFL games might have been hurting his his business in some way. And there were people far smarter than I who who made a comment that said, you kind of don't want to be the rich white guy saying that the black athletes can't do this. It it has undertones you really don't want to be a part of. Um, and so does it make a difference in what Purdue decides that there's beginning perhaps to be a pattern here with, with his comments, at least? Our trustees will decide that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm all, what I'm saying is if this was just a one-off, if this was a one thing, would that be considered differently than if there had been multiple instances? I can't speak for everybody who's going to have a say and a vote on, on this. Um you know, certainly his uh, comments, at least as reported back in that previous incident, were things a lot of people agreed with, including apparently the NFL. Um, so honest people can differ about stuff like that. Nobody can differ about overt racism if if that's in fact what was intended by these comments. That's, so I see that in a very different category. We did have one comment from a listener who wanted to ask – why Purdue would even consider taking his name off of this. The comment from the listener basically says uh, what Mr. Schneider was doing in the phone call was saying, look, I believe this to be true about something that Colonel Sanders, the head of KFC, once said. And uh, our listener believes, look, if it's a direct quote, then he's just quoting this person. And why is there a problem with using the N-word in that context? What do you make of that argument? Uh, Well, um I think there are a lot of people who might look at it that way. Again, um, uh, we don't want, and I suspect he doesn't want, uh, to detract or distract in any way from the very worthy work of this center we've been trying to build. And uh, so uh, eye of the beholder, people will look at what was said and come to their own conclusions and um, – We'll, uh, I'm sure the board will take all that into account before we decide. Do you think this is an all-or-nothing proposition where, in other words, would they just take his name off the center and keep the money? Would they take his name off the center and give him the money back so that there's no appearance of connection between the two? It, it, could it, can you pick and choose between those? Not sure, but um, I, I think best to wait until we've made some kind of decision, then we can talk about the why. This is WBAA and Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. Send your questions to ask at WBAA.org. Tweet them at WBAA News on Twitter. You and I talked a little bit last month about a comment that was made by former House Speaker John Boehner about uh, how he said that, uh, and you you were brought up as, as, along with Speaker Boehner, as kind of you know, Republican standard bearers for a long time, being a, a kind of the moderate wing of the party. And he said, uh, Speaker Boehner did, that he thought this there was no Republican Party anymore, that it was President Trump's party. You were then quoted not long after as saying you were, your words, homeless now, you felt. Um, and, and I've kind of gathered since then you felt maybe you were a little bit misquoted. Is that accurate? I'm not going to use that word. I'm just going to say careless. I you, you, Stan... 
nobody knows better than you, because you and I have been visiting for years now, that for six years I've been scrupulous about not commenting about anything partisan. And I didn't mean to here. Uh, as I have many times, I was trying to answer a question in a, I would call it a clinical way. There are many people who feel as, oh, for instance, um, John Boehner does. Uh, I don't remember using the pronoun I, uh, but uh, it, th- that those views got imputed to me, and uh, that's my fault for not being more crystal clear. It's the only time I think I've left that impression that I was taking a personal position. I really don't have any comment and won't on uh, any of these uh, matters, um, but uh, uh, the uh, the notion that there are people who um, – aren't comfortable, uh, who have historically been in that party and are, are not that comfortable right now, is a pretty obvious observation. That's all I was trying to say. I wasn't taking that position myself because my thoughts are my own about that. Well, and, and I believe there's some credence to what you just said, because your quote, or at least what was attributed to you, spread very, very quickly. I mean, I would say just short of viral. I saw it in yeah. a number of different publications. Yeah, I was actually happy um, that uh, I, had, I had agreed to do a podcast that I guess is pretty widely distributed. It's not on this subject exactly, but the fella got into it, and that gave me my first, this is my second chance, to clarify that those aren't, I'm not taking any point of view myself. I'm making an observation that uh, to me is accurate and and fairly obvious. And uh, after five and a half years of a, of a mistake-free record on this, I think I made one here. Do you still privately view yourself as a Republican? You've said on this you've said on this show to me a couple of times, don't be so sure you know what I think about things. Yeah. Uh, and and you've said a lot about not trying to be partisan in this current job. But how do you view yourself privately? Do you view yourself as as a private citizen who is still a part of the Republican Party? Because that's of course still your right. I be, I'm a I'm a private citizen and to an extent a public uh, um, employee and uh, those are the reasons that I don't uh, consider myself affiliated at this moment with any party. Uh, the day after um, I'm booted here or otherwise leave this job, we can talk, and by that point I'll probably reassociate in some way. Okay. On to some other things. I wanted to see if you had been made aware of the the T-shirt that you were recently on that apparently sold out its first print run on campus very, very quickly. It's your face on one side, and it says Mitch Daddy over your face. And on the other side is what appears to be a mountain or an iceberg, and then the Greater Lafayette uh, skyline. Uh, I wasn't entirely sure what to make of it. I didn't want to impute any symbolism to it that wasn't intended. But were you aware of this? No, not until you uh, uh, indicated you wanted to ask about it. I, had, I, had, well, I was clueless about it. I think the backside deals with the tuition freeze. That's my understanding. That okay. The, that it refers to the uh, fact that we've held tuition down and, and costs down, which is something we hear about from students a lot and their parents. And so uh, if it was a good seller, I, I guess that was it. I mean, uh, uh, I remember when I first got here – uh, evoking the uh, the campaign slogan from my last life, there were black and gold My Man Mitch shirts that sold out. Um, but that's the only other time I know I've been on one. And uh, um, yeah, you know, uh, if they if they want to make a, a 
a second edition, I, I've got a happier-looking picture they can have where I, I'm uh, smiling in a little more friendly way. But uh, no, I mean, um, uh, if, if it uh, boosted bookstore sales and and if uh, if some students uh, uh, feel uh, good about uh, the way we're uh, being stewards of the of their university, then that's fine. Do you ever think? Uh I guess not do you ever, but how much do you think about the way that you are having a relationship with the students? Because this this has obviously a father figure connotation to it, but there's also the administrative side, which is very different, you know, different being a boss versus being a father versus being someone who is seen as an academic, as you will be in the classroom how much do you think about the balancing of those roles and how people see you differently in those roles, especially students? That's an interesting question. First of all, um, relationships with students uh, have mattered a lot to me from the day I got here. Um, it was an attraction of the job. I often say to friends, gosh, if you get to hang out with smart people and young people, that's a wonderful uh, sort of assignment to be in. And as you know, uh, I spend a fair amount of time with students, uh, meals and uh, the gym and uh, just being out and around. Um, now, uh, you're quite right. You can't be everybody's best friend. This is true whether we're talking about students or my teammates in, running, in, in, in administering Purdue. Um, you always have to reach for that balance. I. I might have fallen off the beam a time or two. You, you, you really, uh, I like people, and I generally get along really well with people. You have to remember, if you have a certain set of responsibilities, that comes first, and you you can't let friendships uh, cloud that or get in the way. So I'd be a little bit like that with students, but um, I uh, I don't know if it's a paternal thing or not. It's the first time I ever thought of it that way, but um, uh, I would like very much for Purdue students to uh, uh, feel positively about not just me, but about the leadership of their university and that, uh, the, that it is their university is being led in a way that puts their interests first. And uh, so I try to reflect that. I hope my, my teammates do. And if, if that leads to something like a friendly T-shirt, then I guess uh, nothing wrong with that. I wanted to ask you on another topic about uh, some news that came out recently uh, and ask you kind of broadly how the university deals with a situation like this. There were a couple of professors who are alleged to have taken grant money that they got and used it not just for research but for personal gain in a certain way. Let me start by asking how the university is reviewing this situation. Right. It's a very important question. And um, uh, let me start by saying it. This is not a Purdue research grant. That is to say, it's not something that a professor uh, applied for in concert with Purdue, which happens hundreds of times a year. Um, if it had been, then the money would have flowed through Purdue. We'd have been auditing the books. Somebody would have been watching all that. This is in a completely different category where a professor, and this happens frequently, just not as often, applied for something called an SBIR uh, grant he went straight to the federal government, and um, the only thing anybody at Purdue ever knows about one of those is, uh, first of all, the professor is supposed to file an outside activity report. 
is it okay if I do this outside the university with this company he had formed? Because they're being financially remunerated for it. Just to make sure. And, 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 um, and uh, along with that, a, f- a conflict of interest. Is there anything about that outside activity that conflicts with their duties and responsibilities here on the campus? And as I understand it, those two things happen. Other than that, we, we know nothing about it. Uh, and um, um, the money went straight to the company – and uh, was either misused or not, the courts will decide, uh, outside the university's field of view. I checked to see over the last uh, um, few years, between three and 400 of these that we know of uh, had happened. So it's not an uncommon thing. And uh, But it is very different than a research grant in which Purdue goes hand-in-hand with the professor to an agency, let's say, of the federal government or to a foundation – and then, then we have a very um, strong set of fiduciary practices in, involved, but they didn't come into play here. And so we were surprised, as everybody else, by are, the news. Are you reviewing whether professors will continue to be able to have that leeway? Don't know that yet. If, that's, if, that, if our research leadership feels we need to do something we're not now doing beyond the, the two checks I talked about, um, we'll sure look at it. But um, – uh, no, those programs, there are two companion programs that NSF, National Science Foundation, runs uh, under the leadership of our former president, of course, mm-hmm. President Cordova. And, um, you know, they're set up as they are for a reason, and they have their own, as we just learned, um, uh, 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 auditing and double-checking systems in case somebody colors outside the lines. So uh, my guess is that the now, this doesn't call for a change, but if somebody has a good one to suggest, of course, we'll look at it. We've talked from time to time on this program about issues of ethics and honesty and, in some cases, the university drawing up paperwork that, in most cases, it's the students that sign that say, I agree to abide by these principles mm-hmm. because we, we agree that these are a set of rules under which we can all operate. Is there anything like that in place for faculty to uh, to make sure that you're able to check up on them? I think the answer is yes, in multiple layers. And, of course, our faculty are expected to adhere to the highest standards of uh, uh, academic conduct. The, 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 the one most certain way that a tenured faculty member can be uh, uh, removed here at Purdue or most such universities is academic misconduct, where they do something like th- this or they um, misrepresent uh, data or facts in, in research so that's taken extraordinarily seriously. And is it? Do you think is it possible if if there is a legal proceeding here that goes forward and finds some evidence of wrongdoing that these professors would be removed? Well, I can't say anything about it for sure. But uh, of course, if if uh, this uh, particular charge is proven, they, they probably get bigger problems than than their academic standing at Purdue to deal with. This is Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue President Mitch Daniels. Email your questions to ask at WBAA.org. Tweet them as well at WBAA News on Twitter. You made an interesting comment at the Aspen Institute, which you've been heavily involved with for a few years now. You said, uh, and I'm quoting now, governors can determine the future of work. What did you mean by that? I think you're referring to a a column that I uh, uh, co-authored with uh, Mark Warner, the Democratic senator from uh, Virginia. He had asked me initially to 
be his, I'll say, wingman. He would say co-chair of this Aspen Institute study. Uh, it's investigating a topic that everyone everywhere, including the leadership of the current leadership of the state of Indiana, has it near the top of their list. In, a, in an era in which we know there will be huge changes in jobs, some being automated, uh, other new ones uh, uh, being created, and we're not sure what they'll look like. Um, the need for uh, people to have more skill than before in order to get those jobs. Here in Indiana, we've got the lowest unemployment in 50 years, and yet there are lots of jobs we read every day uh, still uh, going begging. They can't find people with the right um, uh, preparation for them. So it's it's about that, and uh, in a couple more weeks, I'll be back uh, at a meeting that, at Aspen Institute dealing with uh, these topics in large part. So uh, I, I would say it is the, uh, the subject du jour for a lot of people. It's very important. Don't think uh, any of us understand it as well as we would like. Um, I'm interested you know, in the phrasing. Why did you say governors can determine the future yeah. of work? Well, uh, rather than the, the, rather than okay. the people or the business leaders or something. Honestly, they were trying to get it printed somewhere, and uh, he he was a governor. I was a governor, and uh, it it first appeared in the newspapers at the at the uh, at the National Governors Association meeting. I think they were targeting at that. Uh, I think it is true, by the way, that in an economy as varied as this one is, from place to place to place, uh, the most uh, Creative solutions are more likely to be found, as this, this is true of many other problems, not in Washington, not uh, one size fits all. So I think that's a that's a legit point to make. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm pretty sure the folks who suggested the column were were zoomed in on the audience, and it worked. It got printed where presumably every governor had a chance to read it. Then it uh, then it went elsewhere. We're, as I mentioned at the top of the show, approaching the beginning of the fall semester, and uh, Purdue Global is kicking off. Do you have any insight into what the fall enrollment numbers will be? Not yet. I mean, we uh, we entered uh, the the new era of Purdue Global with right around thirty thousand uh, students. It's interesting. It's about the size of the West Lafayette undergraduate population. Um. But uh, by next month's show, I hope we'll know something more, and certainly by, uh, let's say, September, October, we we will. Remember that Purdue Global, unlike uh, uh, traditional higher ed, doesn't operate on locked-in agrarian calendar semesters. There are 22 different start dates, uh, two a, roughly two a month when a student can start. Now, that said, your question is very timely for two reasons. One is there is a seasonality to it. I've now learned that even though you can start any month of the year, there's a surge about the time that kids go back to school. It's not surprising since the, the typical Purdue Global student, at least today, is a 33-year-old working woman with kids. So that meant that the major, uh, I'll say a debut, there was some low-level um, advertising and social media work that went on before, but July 9th, so just a couple weeks before we taped this program, was really the launch. And um, and I've had people come to me and say they've seen television advertisements, I think, during baseball's recently completed All-Star game, and I imagine uh, that costs a fair amount of money. It does cost a fair amount of money. It's a very different uh, world than the one we 
uh, have lived in here where you're dealing primarily with students leaving high school and so forth. And you have to reach out, and there's really more um, invested in uh, social media and other routes like that. We're trying to reach people who are out in the working world and very busy uh, with complicated uh, life situations. Uh, It does require new tools that we knew nothing about. But um, uh, I'm very hopeful, and I will say, we're only two weeks in, the reaction from those who have seen uh, the television advertising and so forth has been very positive. And um, so we'll, we'll we'll see. But uh, uh, let me ask you I, one Believe more. me, I'm as impatient as anyone. Show me some numbers. And uh, in all fairness, uh, these things, uh, people don't make this. It's a big decision. If you're a working person with family and job and obligations, maybe you're also, who knows, you may be taking care of an elderly parent at the same time. It's it's not a snap decision to try to go back and finish that degree. And so... Um, Let me ask you one more question about the marketing, because one concern I've heard from inside the Purdue community, from people who work at individual schools or departments, is they're trying to get students to come to their places, and so they have individual marketing budgets, and they are all dwarfed by Purdue Global's marketing budget. There's people who are concerned at the university that it's almost working at cross purposes that if if they're going after the same student that you're either spending the money twice to try and get one student or you're you know you're stealing from peter to pay paul mm-hmm. well you just said the uh, magic words same student it's a completely different student utterly different student i just described that typical um purdue uh, global uh, target and um, they they have almost nobody in their current student population. And the marketing will not be pitched to 18-year-olds, 20-year-olds, 22-year-olds. Once again, the, the the single decisive statistic here is this astonishing number of 35 to 40 million Americans who started college somewhere and didn't finish. And uh, back to your question about uh, the future of work and so forth, the most dominant concern now of all, everybody working on that is how do we reach those people and get them to some sort of a higher skill level, credential level, so, which translates very directly into income improvements and so forth. So that's the world that Purdue Global is operating in. And, uh, you know, if there's ever any um, uh, overlap, it'll be very much at the margins. And we have a mechanism for, for working that. It, it would be in um, maybe in one of the graduate uh, programs, which are very small at Purdue right now. There are only a couple where we're in the same space at all, and we'll work those out. One of the things that I believe you're also doing is offering this at a discount or maybe even free to Purdue employees. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yeah, it's absolutely right. And uh, before I went camping, I don't know what I've seen now, but there were over 500 that signed up. I have some of the most heartwarming emails, Stan, from Purdue staff who said, it's my dream come true. I can have a credential from Purdue. They've been working here loyally in some cases, I guess, for years. And now suddenly that's open to them. And so we're really excited about that. By the way, um, hadn't thought about this in advance, but one thing we need to do much better at Purdue is employee uh, development and upskilling. We didn't. We have a patchwork of things to help a, an employee uh, move up in uh, a level or two in in the work, job they're ready to do. And um, 
that's something that uh, our CFO Bill Sullivan and I, who came from business backgrounds, had noticed right away. We just weren't doing nearly enough to make personal growth possible for the for loyal uh, colleagues who were, uh, you know, working uh, all over this campus. And so, uh, uh, this uh, the Purdue Global opportunity gave us a huge uh, a, a jump start on a, on a necessary improvement. All right. Well, that's the time we've got. Thanks, as always, for your time, and uh, we'll do it again next month. Can't wait. This has been Indiana Public Broadcasting's monthly conversation with Purdue University President Mitch Daniels. Remember, you can email your questions for this show to ask at wbaa.org. Find us on Twitter at WBAA News. Tweet us a question there if you like, and all these shows are archived at wbaa.org. I'm Stan Jastrzewski. Enjoy the rest of your day. Support for the monthly conversation with Mitch Daniels comes from Purdue University Press, publishing global scholarship and popular regional work since 1960, and featuring the fifth edition of Creating Moments of Joy Along the Alzheimer's Journey, now available. More at thepress.purdue.edu.